0: This podcast is brought to you by DC Music Publishing. Find out more at dcmusicpublishing.co.uk. Hello, and welcome to the Behind the Music Business podcast. My name is Danny Champion. I'm the host of the podcast and owner um, of DC Music Publishing. which this podcast is associated with. Um, I've been doing this podcast since 2018 and it's a music business podcast where I speak to a whole range of different people in the music business about their journey through the music business, how they got to where they are now, why the hell they're in the music business in the first place, uh, in order hopefully to educate, provide information for those who are interested in getting into the music media entertainment industry, or those who are already in it and need to understand some new parts of it. Uh, This week's guest is Jack Williamson, founder and CEO of Music and You, psychotherapist, coach, and best-selling author. Um, I reached out to Jack, I think via LinkedIn, actually, and we spoke over email. Um, about getting him on the podcast, and it was a really, really interesting conversation about someone who spent many, many years in the industry in kind of marketing, AR, management roles, and then has pivoted away from those roles to what he does now within psychotherapy and coaching alongside some of the music business stuff that he still does. So we talked about his time in music. We talked about him getting into music, uh, his love for Spice Girls and getting the opportunity to work with them, uh, working as a manager. Uh, we talked about his fuck it list, so his version of a bucket list. And we also talked about his pivot into working in and around mental health. Um, how he has perceived mental health in the music business, uh, his book, The Shitty Committee, and a whole range of other things. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. It was a, It was really, really great to meet Jack. He's a very inspirational person. So here is my conversation with Jack Williamson. For stepping no, on this and doing this, uh, I know it was a, asking. a very kind of out of the blue email, um, but I'm very very grateful that you got back to me. Although you were climbing a mountain.
1: Yes. Was yes.
0: That, yes. Please, but before we jump into music business stuff and and everything else, talk to me about climbing Mount Everest
1: so i have a thing called a fuck it list which is slightly different to a bucket list where i just think i'll oh, it i'll do it and, and so i have 200 item on, items on there oh wow and that was 160 and i was just like "Fuck it why not like that you only die once as i say and while we're living we might as well take life to the fullest or live life to the fullest and so I was just like okay saw the opportunity and then grabbed it with both hands and then my poor legs are still recovering (laughs) how far Um, did you get uh so i only went to base camp because one in three people don't make it uh, back from the top so i didn't fancy playing russian roulette with my life
0: that's fair enough
1: so um base camp was more than suffice for me um and then we did a 6000 meter peak as well so it was it was a decent decent size walk and longer than Kilimanjaro that I did 3 years before so okay um, so yeah
0: so now forgive my ignorance of this um, I believe when you're climbing Mount Everest and you are going up to the top you fly up the first bit to a uh an airport or rather a runway that is quite funky to get to you have to kind of the plane kind of banks very very quickly and comes in was that something that you did or would, was was that very much uh you walk from the ground to kind of where,
1: where no with that in? with that it's the most dangerous runway in the world yes yeah, yeah um and the runway is 500 meters long um so there's no room for error no and the planes don't have gps so it's if it's cloudy but, yeah they <laughs> can't see the mountains and because it is in a, a, a crevasse or whatever the correct word is and yeah. so you have to time it really well and if it's and 4 days before the 4 days before we took off no flights came in because it just was too dangerous so you start from that point, and then you walk. I think it's eight days to the base camp, and then if you're doing or attempting to do the summit, you're there for <clears throat> up to two months because there's a three-day window within which it's safe to actually get yeah, yeah. to the top, or potentially safe. There's no guarantee, obviously, but so um, you yeah. you
0: came in at that da- at the most dangerous runway
1: in the world, in yeah, the yeah, world. yeah, yeah. yeah. I have, I, have a,
0: I have a fear of flying. Just listening to you doing okay. that does not fill me with, with happy thoughts.
1: <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll maybe stay away from that option then.
0: <coughs> <laughs> yes. It's not to the point where I don't get on planes to go on holiday, but there are just there are certain, certain things that I just won't ever, ever get anywhere near doing. And I think that is one of them. I feel okay. like that, that, that runway is not going to be on my bucket list. Fair play. Fair play. Um, I'm, I'm curious about about the list. It was you said that uh, climbing Mount Everest was number one sixty on it. Does that mean that you've done one to one five nine, and you're now on to one six one to two hundred? Have you done them in order, or yeah, have you kind I, of?
1: I, it's it's a pick and mix, but I've done one hundred sixty, so I've got forty to go now. That's amazing. Um, and it's just a case of they're not necessarily in any order. It's just about ability, time, financial requirements, um, access. Obviously the pandemic put a a, uh, spanner in the works for everyone Mm -hmm. in multiple ways, but also for my bucket list too, I was just like, oh, well, can't go traveling. So that takes out 35 of them. So last year i jumped out of a plane for my birthday instead which was one of my list items so clearly (laughs) planes are coming up a lot given the fact (laughs) you just said you'll be a fly
0: it's fine well Well, what other other stuff is on the list i'm i'm fascinated by this now
1: uh, step foot on all seven continents okay um one so i stepped foot on antarctica just before christmas uh so that was one um jump out of a plane is another one yeah um see a concert on every continent. is another, um, just like really random things. They can be small things as well as big things. It's like chase a tornado in Tornado Alley in America is something I'd still like to do. Visit all 50 states. Uh, So sometimes it's sport related. Sometimes it's activity related. Sometimes it's cuisine related. Um, It's just dependent on the situation. But um, but yeah, it's similar to a bucket list, but it's a bit more like, fuck it, I'll do it, rather than yeah, like, yeah. I have to do this
0: before I die. No, I love it. I love it. I think I might be sitting down and doing my own one of those this weekend. But, yes, moving on, kind of this this conversation is, I guess it's going to be in two parts. We've kind of touched on one of those parts, which is what you are doing now yeah. and the pivot that you did in what, 2017 to kind of how you how you work and what you do now. But I wanted to to start with your relationship with music and the music industry. Um, Mm. uh, The podcast that I've been doing for, what, nearly four years now is called Behind the Business, so it's very much uh, how, why uh, people got into the music business. Uh, Mm. So you kind of, you spent a better part of, what, 15 years um, in in, in, in the industry, Uh, so Mm. kind of... I guess the the simple question to start with is why the music industry? Was it always the focus or was it something like many people you kind of just fell into?
1: I think for me, ever since an early age, I wanted to work in music. I've always loved music. My dad, um, I grew up listening to a lot of soul and Motown growing up. And then for good or bad reasons, depending on the listener, um, I fell in love with the Spice Girls um, and I realized I couldn't sing. And then I was like, whoever gets to work with them has a great job, I'd love to do that as a career. Um, so Simon Fuller, in essence, their manager at the time became my kind of aspirational figure. And so from that point on, I was just like, I know where I wanna go and every all roads led to that pathway. So it was like, okay. what can I do or how can I get into the industry? But I wasn't <clears throat> one of those individuals that knew anyone in the industry. Um my family had friends that maybe worked on the periphery, but no one that actually worked in the industry. So it was a case of having to hustle hard myself to find an opening. Yeah. Um, and then that came in 2001. So, yeah, nearly 21 years ago now.
0: So it was literally you, you discovered Spice Girls in, what, 96, 97, kind of mm-hmm. learnt as much about who was behind that band at, you know, in the late '90s, yeah. and that's how you kind of went. No, there, there, there's a thing called artist management or a thing called record labels and stuff. And then it, was that just? Did you kind of take it upon yourself to to learn those sorts of things? Because you know, understanding record companies and publishing and artist management and stuff isn't isn't what a lot of people they kind of just see, hear the music, and you know, they don't dive into the, into the background stuff. Was it something that you? you dove quite deeply into off your own back?
1: Yeah, I think there's something within me, innate within me where it's like, I'm drawn to the power behind the power or in this this specific instance, the power behind girl power. So it's looking at Virgin Records, it's looking at Simon Fuller and 19 Entertainment at the time or XIX Now, looking at those companies, organizations, listening to the charts every Sunday back in the day. Now it's obviously on a Friday, but, the releases in our price on Woolworths on a Monday morning, reading the credits and the linear notes, getting to understand the nuances, and then <clears throat> just forging a pathway forward then. And then I was just really fortunate that through a friend, their friend's dad was a tour manager. And okay. so I befriended them. And then they worked with an artist that most people in the world will know, because especially because of Christmas, uh, Mariah Carey. And so through that, I met her publicist, Um, and then started working with uh, a wonderful woman called Connie Filipello who also did George Michael um, in 2001 through to 2003 uh, while still at college and university kind of like an internship one day a week Um, and that was my kind of starting and it's I also whilst at university did music and media management Um, so it was a business management but applied to music and music media um, and so I learned a lot more of the technicalities of the industry whilst yep. getting that hands-on experience working at um, a publicity firm for arguably two of the biggest artists of our generation.
0: Do you think if you hadn't met those, those people, if you didn't have those links to, to the industry, like you, have, you, know, you, you said that you didn't have a lot of links, but there was a, uh, a kind of a, a, there was a pathway to, to mm-hmm. that internship. Do you think you would have still um, fought uh, to get into the music industry if you didn't have that at all?
1: Well, I created that pathway. So it was like, I had that vision. It was, it reminds me of when I co-managed a artist called Gabrielle Aplin, and it's like her vision when we were going around to do all the deals, um, when her third EP went top 10 and we were unsigned. and. Had 465,000 downloads of her single that week worldwide. And we were going around, and everyone was like, What do you want? What do you want? And it's like, All I want from a publishing perspective, or all I want from a records perspective, is to have the John Lewis Christmas advert. And I think, similarly with myself, back then, if we were then to go back 11 years or even longer, 10, uh, 12, 13 years, I was like, I want to find an end to the industry. So Where your focus goes, your energy flows. And if you're looking for or you're putting that energy out there, you attract like minded energy. So it's like all people come from all different walks of life. And if you're like, oh, I want to work in the music industry, 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 and you're kind of clearly focused or hyper focused on that, you're then going to attract people that say, oh, I know so and so, or I know this, or they will not know anything. So the conversation quickly dries out. So it's about putting that focus and energy out there mm-hmm. to then attract those people because it was only through constant repetition of saying, I want to do this, I want to do this, that then I found that. And it's, yep. again, if, if you don't communicate these things, people aren't necessarily going to know. So you just have to put yourself out there, as scary as sometimes it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then hopefully the right things are attracted towards you as a result.
0: Yeah, definitely. I we must have met when you were working with Gabriel Aplin, because I was at Peer Music back when. Oh, with the, with the great Richard Holly. With the great Richard, I was the sync manager there at the time, and we oh, were really keen. Both <laughs> me and Richard really wanted to to sign uh, Gabriel uh and all that sort of stuff. So you must have come into that office, and we must have, and I must have said hi to you back way you know way back in the day. I, I feel Richard,
1: that that. I was going to say over in Richmond with the wonderful artists like Dee Adams and others that we probably did sessions with. So, yeah, no, Richard, yeah. I guess, was more a relationship that James had that I had because of the pre existing relationship with Newton Faulkner. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, such a small world.
0: How did you find uh, a music and media management degree?
1: Um, I think there were nuances that helped enhance what I already knew. There were certain bits that kind of added to it. But I think for me, unless you're doing a a degree like uh, biomedical science or law, I think for me the music industry is much more a hands-on job and the theoretical side of things I don't think is as applicable because I think there is if you have the right mentors in place if you have the right support system in place Mm -hmm. then I think there is just as much to learn and gain from that or trade unions or trade associations such as the MMF or Musicians Union or BPI or or whatever variant of that that may be that you want to work in. And so for me, I think I'm encouraging of academia, um, but I don't think it's a a necessity for people coming into industry because I think for me where I was doing the work experience alongside, so I did those two years, with Molly Filippello and PR. I then did six months at MTV. I then did work at BMG before it became Sony BMG. And then as soon as I left uni, five days later, I was starting at Sony BMG as an employee. Mm-hmm. It's, for me, it's as much learning on the job as it is the theoretical side. So, <clears throat> so it was it was nice to have, but I wouldn't say it was a necessity.
0: I think you from from looking at the the dates. I think your univer. I think you started and finished a year before me at university. Right. So I think you were 02 to 05. I was 03 to 06, doing a music business degree. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure whether our ages are similar. I went to university later. I was 23 when I went.
1: Yeah, we're similar
0: to, to university, and so. My relationship with the academia side of things was very very similar to yours I, I spent time at the orchard while I was at university I spent a year and a half at Sony ATV whilst I was at university and I think it was the dovetailing of both of them that was that yeah. worked the best for me it was I, I, I learned a lot about myself whilst at university about what I was good at kind mm-hmm. of uh, not necessarily not from a work perspective but you know project planning and time management and all that sort of stuff but at the same time I had that um, that practical I'm actually doing stuff in in the industry at the same time and it it seems as though those of us who were on my course the the, we we did a a course at the University of Hertfordshire and it was the very (laughs) first year that they did it so we were kind of the guinea pigs Uh, so it's a very very small cohort and those of us who did that who reached out who tried to who got internships who we're all still working in the industry and those who didn't have kind of you know they've carved their own paths it's it's very interesting to hearing someone having like literally the same viewpoint as me in that aspect
1: i guess it's it's because i still think as you rightly said that there was a lot of students on my course that didn't do the placements or the internships or Whatever. and that might be for a multitude of reasons. That might be because their cost of living or they had to have a full-time job or they had to have this or they had to have that. But I'm like, I often find that if you want something badly enough, you'll find a way to make it happen. It's like, I still worked part-time as well as doing an internship as well as doing a full-time degree. And yeah. so I just think you can sh- juggle stuff around. And it's like, pe- I'm like, well, if you can't, then if you've got four or five weeks holiday a year, take two of those weeks and do a placement or an internship or something mm-hmm. and it's like there will always be people that will find an excuse or a rationale or a reason to not do something and I'm just like well that's where I look at what I call in my book SQ it's like do you have that spiritual quotient do you have that ability to persevere to overcome to not take no for an answer to find a way to yes or a route to yes rather than like okay well that dawn's closed that doesn't mean there's not 10 other doors that are potentially open to me. And just because I wanna work in record labels and three major labels are saying no, doesn't mean I can't go to an independent label or go to a management company that puts out releases that can teach me stuff that labels do that then at least give me that foundation or that stepping stone to then create a pathway in. And I think that that's often the challenge is working with the psych of the individual to help them look at a challenge as an opportunity rather than a setback Mm -hmm. and so I think that maybe that is where there is a continuation but it's maybe more apparent now because of the notion of fees when we were at uni were 1,100 a year now they're 9,000 a year and so there's a discrepancy and the salaries are not reflective of that massive jump in uh, yearly fees.
0: How many of your uni cohort? got into the industry and that you I were think kind of was, working with on a on a you know weekly monthly basis
1: yeah there was 45 in the course I think and of that probably three or four okay so less than 10 percent
0: are you still in touch with those people
1: uh one of them weekly one of them sporadically and the other not really um but they weren't necessarily someone I was in contact with even on the courses we had two classes I was just aware that they were right in the industry so it's more a case of from afar because although the industry is very small there it's still big enough that your paths don't necessarily always cross especially if you're in different segments of the industry yes or different genres or different companies sometimes as well yeah.
0: You spent uh, a lot of time at majors, Sony being the focus. Yeah. Uh, Sony BMG before the bit they dropped the BMG. Um, yeah. You spent a little bit of time at EMI. Did you get caught up in all the
1: the, the Terra BS that was yeah.
0: going on there?
1: So yeah, let's, let's come in and wipe a third of the company. Where should we start? <laughs> yeah.
0: But I mean, that was quite. That was. You were quite. You know. You were still quite early on in your in your career then so you 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 found yourself at a company that on paper was was you know very well revered well respected and then yeah. somebody comes in and just gets rid of a bunch of people was that tough from from your side of things from kind of going and going yeah i think i can do some good here and then that being taken away from you i guess
1: um at the time, yes, retrospectively, and retrospect is both a beautiful thing and a horrible thing. Um, and it's it's when you look at it, at the time it was like, God, I've left Sony because there was a restructuring uh within the area that I was in. And then I've got into <clears throat> EMI into international or global marketing. And then this happens. Coincidentally, again, at Sony, it's often global marketing is one of the first departments that are removed when there's a restructure or a new president comes into the company. Um, except the second time I jumped ship before the ship sank um, right. at Sony in 2016. Um, but the first time it's kind of a case of you're there, you're working with all these big acts, like got to work with the Spice Girls, with Kylie Minogue, 30 Seconds to Mars, Coldplay, Nora Jones. Uh, Lily Allen blah 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 and you're like kind of overseeing all this global action which was really interesting to me because i have gone just from domestic to worldwide Um, but then all of a sudden you've got this individual come in that's looking at it from a very analytical perspective and it's like creativity isn't linear Mm -hmm. it isn't like dotting the I's and crossing the T's and someone with a business mind or an analytical mind isn't the same as someone with a inspirational mind or a creative mind. And those two don't necessarily often collide. And obviously it was also coinciding with probably the lowest year in terms of income, because we were still feeling the ramifications of Napster and the piracy era. Yep. Um, and it wasn't until the next year that Spotify launched iTunes was starting to come into hit, but it still wasn't helping to kind of, bottom out the yeah. um, ongoing decline. So from a money perspective, I understand wanting to cut the fat, but from a, from a strategic perspective for a long play perspective, there was a lack of foresight from terra firma. Um, and obviously- <laughs> and then Understand they then,
0: that of the century.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I, I tried to be diplomatic while I can, but, um, but yeah, it's, it, was, it was a shame, but such is life. Do
0: you feel from, from someone who's been caught up in, in something like that and now that you're on the, not necessarily in the music industry in the same way as you were, you kind of look into it from a different mm-hmm. perspective, do you see the same mistakes being made or do you think that the whole industry has, has done a good job at, kind of at making decisions that are slightly more future-proof?
1: Um, Well, I often say history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And so when you look at situations, we're all human at the end of the day and we come with emotions and sometimes decisions are made from an emotional place um, and there can be an emotional connection to X or Y. Um, And so it takes leadership from... um, rather than managering because managers control whereas leaders empower and it's it's that ability to look beyond what's in front of you to to speculate and we can all speculate but none of us can tell which stocks are going to rise and which stocks are going to fall which artist is going to go and which artist isn't because if we did Jonathan Dickens would have 10 Adele's if we did Simon Fuller would have 10 Spice Girls it's like it's not as easy to navigate that kind of projection, but at the same time, you do tend to see certain companies, certain individuals, certain areas continue to make mistakes. And you sometimes you just have to sit there and watch back, because you don't have an active participating role in helping evolve that perspective. Mm-hmm. So, you kind of just sit there and you're just like, "Okay, that's an interesting decision i'm I'm curious how that will pan out. Obviously, you hope that it does pan out for the best, but invariably often it doesn't um but do you know every action comes with an equal reaction, and so again, they've got to weigh that up themselves and make their own informed decision as to whether that action that they've taken is worth the reaction that it causes
0: mm. i'm 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 curious." When you were told that you would be working on a Spice Girls record, how mm-hmm. did that how did that sit?
1: It was interesting because I got the call the day that I was actually at Universal and I was in between Sony BMG and EMI and I was working this is so random. I was at Metropolis for an album playback with Kanye West for the graduation album. Right. And so I was really, really happy, but Spice Girls did their announcement that day of the tour and the greatest hits and all of that. And I was like, Oh God, I wish I could be with that. And then I got a call that afternoon saying, Oh, you've got the job at EMI. And I was like, ah, like I was so excited, but then it was like, I wish I'd had that two weeks earlier and I may have been at that, but then it was great to just be part of, everything that then unfolded from the planning and preparation, but there was very limited what they did on the recording side, because it was pretty much about the tour and the 17 uh, O2 arena shows in the US tour. There was, it was very limited in terms of the recording output. So as much as it was exciting to be involved with it and to get to meet Nikki and Rachel Wood, who's an amazing woman, um, who still works with them now um, and worked with the wanted in between and other management bits, but it's, it was lovely to do, but then it was just a shame to not have had the opportunity to be doing more. And so it was kind of like, I would have loved to be more involved on the management side than on the um, record side because it was so limited in its scope.
0: Between your times at Sony EMI and then Sony again later on, there was there's a couple of businesses, Sixth House and Jackal, that yeah. I don't know about. And when I was looking into what kind of the roles and what you were doing there, it was kind of everything. So, yeah. who were those companies? Um, how did you get? Was it kind of just looking for anything that kind of had the had the right job titles in there? And and you know you you were doing a little bit of everything a little bit of marketing a little bit of publishing a little bit of everything how was that how did you find kind of juggling such a diverse uh diverse role
1: so with the sixth house that was i got that through emi so basically one of the projects i worked on was um well a couple there was a band called rebelde which was the latin s club seven Um, and they performed three Maracana stadiums, which is the biggest football stadium in the world. So they performed over half a million people in three nights. Um, And when the manager found out that I lost, he said, oh, you should just come and work here in America. I'm like, oh, it's not as easy as that, blah, 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 blah. Um, But then I got the opportunity to go out and work there with uh, the Sixth House. And so they had the management arm, they had a touring arm and they had a publishing arm which was kind of slightly similar but different to when I was at Sony BMG the first time because I worked for Hugh Goldsmith and he had a management arm, a publishing arm and the record label. So I was kind of quite familiar with that setup in almost kind of like a 360 company. And so for me, it was taking that learning or being exposed to that, but being a bit more involved and then being on the management side. So I would with those artists i would do that and i got the experience of working in america and dealing with latin america a bit more so then that gave me that insight into okay these are how different markets work this is how you work in different settings this is what is required of managers this is and it was just a bit more involved because record label you're one step removed like you're just looking after the records or publishing you're just looking after the publishing whereas when you're manager you're kind of on every touch point from the touring to the merchandise to the publishing to the records sometimes depending on boundaries you're also involved in their personal life as well depending on the level of artist and what's required and so having that with the sixth house really helped me but then i came back to london in 2010 and i found this artist online called gabrielle aplin and i reached out to james who i used to work with at sony bmg and i was like oh, this girl, she's great. Like, check her out. Like, I'd love to manage her, but I don't have the expertise in a management capacity in the UK to do that. And so we went to see her in Bath. There was a couple of other managers sniffing around by that point. Um, But then she decided to go with James and I. And so that was where Jackal Entertainment was born because it was kind of, right, if I'm doing something, I need to have an umbrella where I do stuff myself. So it was working in management but also still doing some marketing consultancy here and there for different projects as well because management you don't earn unless they earn Mm -hmm. and if you only have one client as opposed to six then you become over-reliant and so there can be issues there or challenges where you're trying to navigate um, an artist that maybe isn't as proactive as you feel they could be or should be Um, and then that can sabotage relationships because you are dependent on them putting in the work because you can't work unless they give you work so you you're trying to navigate that terrain and it is management is very much like being a parent but without the unconditional love
0: (laughs) I was going to say do you did you like being an artist manager some people love it and some people kind of do it until it it drains them a little bit too much
1: um I think I learned a lot from it I learned a lot From myself, um, I was happy to disclose I was let go as the manager, um, and I always take ownership for my part in the demise of that relationship. Um, I look back and see how things I could have done differently, but also I'm aware that things could have been done differently on the other side as well. But that's ultimately up to the others, whether they agree with that or not, Mm -hmm. or they have that view. But when you speak to so many managers, like a lot of my management friends from Mark, who used to manage Rihanna, to Don, who used to manage Kanye, 90% of artists will fire their manager at some point. And it's kind of heartbreaking to me because you see this pattern occurring again and again. And obviously, it is like a marriage in some respects, but I always say it's like the a's get the credit and the m's get the blame when things go great mm-hmm. it's the artist or the a and r that gets the credit when things go wrong it's the manager or the marketing person that gets the blame and <laughs> i've been both manager and marketeer and so i've seen that and so it's like it's like oh you did it because we've given you a great song and it's just like well no there's more than just a great song that goes into the release strategy to help it be successful don't get wrong you need a great song but there's a lot of other components that go into that and similarly with managers it's like you often are the bad cop so that the artist can stay the good cop and you protect them from a lot of stuff but then at the same time it's like <clears throat> they may have a go at you for one thing that's gone wrong but they're unaware of the other nine things that you've had you've to deal rights. with yeah, yeah. When
0: I started this, I, I came into town. I sat in rooms with people in their meeting rooms or in their offices with, and I kind of mic'd everybody up, and it was done like that. And obviously, since lockdown, everything's kind of got that little bit easier/slash cheaper yes. to do yes. via <laughs> to do via the wonderful the wonderful world of Zoom. Um, and it's just yeah, it's nice that people are kind of more open for that. I don't I don't think if I try to get People to jump on a video call in twenty nineteen i don't think I don't think they would have done it quite as readily as as they do now
1: It's amazing how people evolve when forced to when
0: forced to yes yes which kind of, i guess in a way brings brings us neatly onto what you do now uh, yeah. which is kind of the more the mental health well being side of things mm. um was that was this area something that always interested you. That was something that you uh, were kind of pursuing or or looking into or working with, uh, whilst being an artist manager, whilst being uh, you know in marketing departments at record companies, or was it something that you kind of pivoted to cold?
1: So for me. I think I've always had an interest in psychology and the way people think and behavioural and why they do what they do. And all of my elective modules at um, university were psychology related. So there's always been an interest there. But as a result of my brother taking his life whilst it's only the second time in 2015, um, I then was kind of in a mindset of, I think like most people, when you go through a traumatic episode in life whether that's a breakdown of a relationship the loss of a loved one whatever it may be you're then in a position where you question things you question decisions you question pathways you question your purpose or what is life all about so and so forth and so I think that gave me the opportunity to turn inwards um and it, it made me reflect a bit more. It's like, well, what do I want to contribute to life? What is my contribution? Because I believe we're here on Earth for two reasons. It's one, to procreate, if you have the ability to, because not everyone does. And the other is to make a difference. And so <clears throat> even from the start, working with Mariah Carey and George Michael and working with Connie Filippello, being in PR, you saw all the issues that would happen and stuff that was not public and then stuff that was public. And so I was aware of Mariah's breakdown that she's now talked about. I was aware of all of the issues that George was going through that was played out in the public as well as privately. And so, and then by working with artists across the subsequent, at that point, 15 years, I then saw like, oh, wow, a lot of artists do struggle with their mental health. Mm -hmm. And because our industry is a forward-facing industry, we have the ability to change the public narrative around mental health. And so for me, it was about what can I do and how can I contribute to that? So I retrained as a coach, I retrained as a psychotherapist, still while working at Sony. Okay, and yeah, then,
0: so I was going to ask if that was, if there was like a hard cut where you changed from one to another, <laughs> but it was actually a, no, you had the yeah, full-time job and you were... Time, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, so I was working at Sony still, I was working at Good Soldier, um, doing international, travelling the world, still having to study, still having to fit in client training hours, all of that stuff. So you're working 120-hour weeks out of the 180, and the rest of the time you're just sleeping. So so then you're in that situation where you're trying to <clears throat> navigate, well, what is it, what are the demands, what is out there, what is required? And again, seeing what was already out there and what was needed. And I saw that there was already a lot of, Great stuff that was being done from the likes of help musicians, music support that was dealing with a problem when it blows up. But there wasn't much in the way of dealing with the problem when it shows up. Because I think that there's a lot of stuff out there to support crisis management, mm-hmm. but not kind of early intervention or preventative work. And so I was like, well, there needs to be more work done in this space. And so that has been why I've done what I'm doing now is because I'm still interested in how can we better support artists? How can we better support the teams around the artists? How can we better support communication? How can we better support boundaries? How can we better support the trials and tribulations that um, anyone faces in this industry from the highs to the lows, to the opportunities, to the rejections, so on and so forth. And so for me, it's about working collaboratively with management companies, with artists, with record labels, with anyone that is open to having a conversation, because surprising there's still so many that aren't open to have a conversation, even though the narrative continues to change in mental health. Um, And so it's just about how can we better serve the industry? How can we better serve our community so that the 190,000 people that work in it are better supported so that they're in good to average mental health rather than poor to clinical? um and that those that are important to clinical are able to get access to the support um sooner rather than later
0: how where is or where has been your focus has it been on on the talent more or has it been on the i don't want to say support stuff but you know the people around the talent because i feel that there, there's a there was especially when i left london there was a there was a there was a the conversation of how how are the how are the people in marketing doing how are the people in A&R doing should they be on their phones as much as they are should they be on call as much as they are um have you found that you're actually working more with the people around the artist rather than the artist or is it kind of about is it about even
1: um for me it's even if you were to ask other people that are doing the same thing everyone will come up with a different response it just depends on demands the relationships that each individual has with um, management companies record labels business people and what they're looking for not everyone that works in the industry wants someone that has industry experience to work as a therapist or a coach whereas others they like that because you understand how it works so there's a a relational understanding rather than having to explain everything it's like well it's not easy for me to cancel at all because i'm on tour and i am the act that then holds up another 107 people and so when you have a therapist it's like well you should just cancel the tour it's like well it's not as simple as that so then from my head it's like okay well have you seen the doctor on harley street have you got evie burnett come in as a vocal coach have you got humidifiers you do your vocal wants you do your vocal warm downs like looking at it from a supportive perspective Mm -hmm. whilst honoring that they maybe do need to take time out but not just cancel the whole tour. Because again, it's like honoring their truth, but honoring the reality too. Um, And sometimes people that aren't from the industry don't understand that. And so sometimes that can cause challenges because of differences in understanding or belief systems. Mm
0: -hmm. How was lockdown uh, from your perspective, from a professional perspective, how much did you see things ramp and how uh how positive are you about things now that we are not or we are behind the worst touch wood
1: yeah um i think it is different in different sectors Mm -hmm. i think it's different depending on what lens you're looking at it from um so i think i always say this when i do webinars it's like the pandemic was like There's an expression, we're all in the same boat, but I call bullshit on that because we're not in the same boat. It's like we're all in the same storm. And some people are on a cruise ship, which were kind of like the record labels that that first year, they actually increased 3.9%. They got the, I don't know, maybe the management companies that were an artist that lost maybe 60 to 70% of their income and they were in their own boats trying not to have the boat capsized. And then you have the live sector, which lost 90% in that first year and or 18 months. And they were like me and Rose and the Titanic clinging to that awful piece of wood prop that was at the end <laughs> of the film. And it's just like trying just to survive. And so dependent on where you worked would depend on how secure you were from a job stability perspective, yeah. which would then have a impact or implications on your ability to navigate this pandemic but then in addition to that it depends on are you an introvert or an extrovert those people that are younger and extroverted and love going out all of that's been taken away from you whereas those that are introverted that love their own company they were living their best lives not literally but like they were more at comfort because they were used to that lifestyle um and then those that wanted to be at home because they're away all the time all of a sudden they're at home so then it was a luxury at least for the first Period of time. But then as time prevailed, then the itchy feet comes on and it's like you're gagging to get back out again, but then you can't because of the pandemic. So it was kind of ebbs and flows. And I think everyone had their moment where they struggled or were challenged with that. And then within that, um, the BPI reported that around a third of people left the industry as a result of um the pandemic in 2021. Um, so it went down from 190,000 to 127,000 or around that. And so you're looking at those numbers and you're just like, okay, well that I'm guessing primarily or predominantly would have been the live sector employees. Mm-hmm. Um, but that may be some management companies that may be some artists that may be some publishers, record labels, etc. but predominantly it'd be the live sector management and artist, um, where it was no longer feasible because most of their income was made in live. So it's the power of pivoting. Mm-hmm that was able to do that. But I do think that there were issues where it's like, you can't distract yourself. So it's like all of those distractions that we use, like hanging out with friends or drinks or drugs or whatever the variant may be, being stuck in a room, four walls or a house, no matter how big or small, you can't avoid anymore. You've got to confront. Mm-hmm. And so then that awakening for people was great for some, awful for lovers so again there's so many variants that i think everyone was impacted differently and every sector was impacted differently but it just depends on who you ask and how they navigated it
0: can you tell me a little bit about your book?
1: Yes. So last year, I was due to go away on holiday um, at the end of May uh, to Israel. But then the war broke out again, the ongoing war between Israel and Palestine. Um, And then in June, I was due to go to Turkey, but it stayed on the red list. So I had three weeks where I was due to be away and my birthday was in between those two periods that I'd taken out of my schedule. And then when they were both cancelled, I was going back to old behaviours where it's like, oh, let me just fill it up with meetings. Let me just do this. Let me just do that again. Um, and then I was like, well, no, stop. It's like one of the items on my fuck it list was to write a book. Right. And so I just took that three-week window and I just locked myself away. And I was like, right, you're going to write this book, or the first draft at least. Mm-hmm. So I, I took those three weeks and I was very strategic and scheduled and i put everything together made sure i had all my resources turned off any distractions and just knocked the book out in three weeks and then after that i then got an editor on board a friend of mine is a publicist in the publishing sector that i go to the gym with um and then she was like oh i can put you in touch with these people and get some reviews and whatnot and it just spiraled and then i had interest in publishers about wanting to publish but having worked on the music industry side, I was like, oh, I know what it's like to self-release. Not as the artist, but as yep. um, the manager. And it's like, this is a labour of love for me. I'm not doing it for any other reason than because I want to. I'm not doing it with any expectations. And so I sat there and I was just kind of like, why not do it yourself? And you can learn the nature of it and you can do it yourself rather than having other people do it for you. And also it gets holed up in a system where you're actually... Then the book probably wouldn't still be out until January February next year because it takes eighteen months generally in a big publishing company for books to be released because of the timeline. Yeah, and so <clears throat> got it all together, got appropriate people to help get whether it's the artwork for the book or the editor or publicist or whatever, and then I just put it out on World Mental Health Awareness Day, and um, it did lovely, it did well, and then. It got a couple of nice reviews like in the Sunday Times, it got a lovely review called A Book Full of Wisdom in The Sun. And then through relationships, we managed to get it into Oprah Winfrey's hands. Um, And she loved the book and she endorsed it. And then November 1st, it just went to some next level. And I was just like, what in the ham sandwiches going on here? It went (laughs) to one across all of Amazon, it hit bestseller lists um and so it was kind of really rewarding because for me the book's called the shitty committee just in case anyone's like well what's the name of the book um but for me it was like how can we talk about mental health but how can i do it in a way that's true to me because the music industry we love a swear we love a rhyme and so it's just bringing those anecdotal pieces and taking what i've learned and sharing that kind of like a reporter but then also adding my own perspective on things that can actually help people and bring different perspectives to what's already out there to add something new to this space, to make people think differently or, or challenge people's thoughts or assumptions um, to help them. So, so it's been a a really nice thing to do. I'm I'm not a, well, I am an author, but I'm not a writer by trade. It's not, it's an area of development or ongoing development for me, but it's just nice to have another creative outlet, right? Uh,
0: Definitely. And I mean, Boshing a book out in three weeks is not something that everybody can do. So, not calling yourself a writer is kind of being a bit disingenuous to yourself when you can, when you can just sit down and focus, and and do that in three weeks. Is there a, is there another book in your future? Do you think?
1: Um, I was approached to do a series of books again after that Oprah thing. I'm sure you can imagine. Then your phone. I guess it's like one <laughs> yes. a big, a big. Play on a radio station in the an A and R scout swarm, um, and so there was a. And I have a couple of ideas, but it's, it's like for me, I'm kind of very much normally a one and done kind of person. But I do have ideas off the bucket
0: list, so it doesn't need. It's off
1: the bucket list, <laughs> so there's no pressure on me to do it. But like, I do want to look at relationships in more detail and perspective in more detail. So at some point down the road, I may <clears throat> release something on. Both of those are standalone pieces, um, but I've got other stuff that I want to work on or create as well. So um, that may they may stay on the back burner, or I may have a window of time, and I might be like, you know what? Fuck it, I'm just gonna knock it out Put and then the list.
0: list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So last question: what What's ahead for the rest of 2022, and what's the next thing that's gonna be ticked off the fuck it list?
1: So what's ahead for twenty twenty? Well, I came back from Everest, and the two tours I was due to be on were postponed to twenty twenty three. So, I'm I'm finding myself at the moment kind of slightly open to what may be out there. So <clears throat> I still have a lot of client work that I do, which kind of starts my week on Mondays and Tuesdays, and I I want to keep those to two days, and then I keep the other three days to allow my creative side to be utilized more. So. Last year, for example, um, just off the back of watching a football match and speaking to one of my old bosses, we re-recorded the Atomic Kittens song, Southgate, you're the one, football's coming home again, and then had a top three single there. So that will obviously do its thing again at the World Cup in November. Um, And it's just about keeping my mind open for opportunities because whilst I do what I do now, I still have so much to give in a creative capacity yep. that I don't wanna limit myself and be like, I only do this. I only do um, therapy or coaching. So like the project I launched with Lewis Capaldi in 2020 to provide mental health support for, art, uh, for concert goers. It's like, are there new projects or opportunities or things I can be involved in that either marry the two or maybe just a music focused or entertainment focused that I can do so I'm just keeping an open mind seeing what comes putting it out to the universe that I'm open to new projects and new ideas um, as well as clients and then yeah see where the wind takes me
0: do you still do you still listen to a lot of un, under the radar unsigned emerging music see what's and and do you ever get that kind of that twinge of oh, I could I could I could manage them I could get back I could get back in and I could do this and do that or are you kind of happy happy to look at it from from a different perspective now?
1: Um, I mean I, I've been involved for the last couple of years with BBC introducing and uh, we just announced the winners of the BBC introducing live lounge competition last week um, and I was involved with a lot of the artists and there's so much talent out there that you do get excited and so And then I'm working with a few of them, like more in a therapeutic or coaching capacity or mentor capacity. But sometimes there are those artists that you see that they have that je ne sais quoi, that something that makes them stand out that not just that they're talented, but you speak to them and you're like, you've got it. Like you're not just this. And I think the more that I've done this now over the last 20 years, the more you can spot the ones that have the talent but they don't have the drive to make it. The ones that have the drive, but don't have the talent to make it. And those rare two that have the drive and the talent that it's like, those are the real gems yeah. that, you, that only come along once in a blue moon. Um, and it's like, if you can find them and you can harness that, it's just so never say never, but I, I'm not proactively looking, but if an opportunity was to come across my desk, and it was too good an offer to uh, turn down, then I would be open to it, basically.
0: Jack, thank you so much for chatting to me today. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Likewise, thank you, Danny, I appreciate it. And um, yeah, it's so interesting how our paths have crossed in some way, shape or form, and then they cross again.
0: Thank you to Jack there for getting involved with the podcast and chatting to me. Uh, If you would like to know more about what he does, uh, go to his website, jackwilliamson.co.uk or find him on LinkedIn or Instagram at Jack Christopher Williamson. Uh, You can also go to the Music and You website, uh, which is musicandyou.co.uk see what they're doing specifically around uh, mental health and coaching in and around the music business. you can also find Music and You on Instagram at Music and You Official, and also there's a bunch of Spotify playlists. So type in Music and You Official, all one word in Spotify, and you will find all of their playlists. As always, thank you to Bloom Paul for providing the music. Uh, if you're interested in hearing more of his stuff, find him on Spotify at Bloom Paul and also listen to his curated playlist, Moonlight Sessions. Uh, he has got new music coming out this year, so uh, uh, look forward to that if that's your cup of tea. Um, you can get in touch with me uh, via, well, by going to my website, dcmusicpublishing.co.uk, and there's a whole range of ways to connect on the website. Uh, Find me on Instagram at DZ Music Publishing. Find me on Twitter at Danny Champion. Find me on Facebook at DC Music Business. Uh, There's a few more of these. I'm desperately hurtling towards episode 100. So, um, yeah, we're in the 70s now. So uh, very much fingers crossed. I think I'll get there. Uh, So, yes, um, I shall talk into your ear holes again very, very soon. Uh, Thanks for listening and yeah, thanks for listening.